Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and uh, folks, this is going to be a good one. I've been looking forward to this show with Corey Colton. Corey is uh, the principal coach and consultant with his own firm, Inflection Point Coaching. Corey, welcome. Thank you, John. Great to be here again. Yeah, you're an old friend of Business Radio X because when you were based in Atlanta, you were on, uh, I think, Atlanta Business Radio, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so it's great to have you back in in Nashville. So uh, let's let's get to that, though. Uh, Tell everyone about... Inflection Point Coaching and how you're serving folks out there. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so I uh, have a, a over a 20-year career in uh, learning uh, leadership development, executive development. Um, and when I spoke to you last, I was in a, a learning role uh, at a local Atlanta company, Auto Trader. Mm. Um, and I decided last year before the pandemic that what interested me most at this point in my career was actually working directly with leaders and leadership development to help them transition, become better leaders, uh, show up the way they wanted to show up in their leadership. And so um, right before the pandemic started, I took a step back and started Inflection Point Coaching. uh, And I'm focusing now on coaching leaders and executives uh, in different industries, helping them to um, achieve what they want to achieve in their role. That's great work uh, for sure. Let's let's talk, let's get the pandemic out of the way. Okay. (laughs) Because that's the, that's the thing uh, uh, we want to get that subject uh, dispensed with, but talk about some of the leadership challenges in the pandemic. And I think from a broader perspective in, in a crisis, right. And, and, and how you counsel leaders to walk through a crisis like a pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, it was really interesting. Um, A few themes kept coming up during that time, uh, one of which was leaders uh, having the opportunity to recalibrate what was important to them, right? Because there was a little bit of separation uh, from the daily grind of the office. Um, they, they were dealing with a different kind of grind, especially if they were at home and they had children homeschooling or parents living with them. Uh, but it gave them a, a, a moment to sort of recalibrate, to sort of take a look at what their values and their passions were. So that was one theme that was coming up uh, consistently. Um, on a more practical level, I was dealing with a lot of leaders who previously had always had an office environment and were now trying to lead effectively in a remote environment. Um, and with my past uh, companies like Citigroup, uh, you know, Citigroup had global project teams for years and years, uh, matrixed. And so we had been dealing with that long time ago. So trying to work with leaders to figure out how to show up differently in the remote world, make sure their teams were engaged, make sure they were still delivering on solutions uh, and their folks were successful and appreciated. So that was really a second theme. And the third theme that I found was, uh, especially during the, heights of the pandemic uh, was that leaders didn't necessarily in their coaching want to focus on specific outcomes, but really needed that place to be able to vent, Hmm. uh, to be able to let go of things that were on their mind, to talk about their frustrations. And so 
um, even though we don't like coaching to be just another nice conversation, you know, we want to have, make sure that we're partnering with our clients uh, on accountability and, and a way forward. Sometimes folks just needed to talk. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I would say that those were the three themes that were sort of emerging in the past year. Uh, and, and under recognized benefit of coaching, but we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But one of the things that, that you work on or themes that you work on specifically are the perils of company cultures that aren't aligned. Uh, certainly that would have gotten exposed and exacerbated in a pandemic, right? But company cultures aligned are nothing or being not aligned or nothing new. Uh, they're, yeah. they're just different reasons, right? Yes. Um, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, over my career, I've seen a lot of different companies with a lot of cultures, um, sometimes many cultures within one company. And so, um, the way I look at it is, you know, what's your desired culture? Um, who do you really want to be? And some companies set up a culture and then stay in that culture longer than they need to without shifting. Um, And as we know, the world of work and business is changing rapidly. So what's your desired culture versus what's your stated culture? Who do you say that you are? Who do you say that you want to be? Um, And then there's the whole world of what's the actual culture. So, you know, in a large company, you may have places where, the department or function culture is completely aligned all the way up. Uh, And then you have places where there's a lot of different subcultures. And so how do you assess that? Um, How do you help leaders navigate through that? Or how do you help leaders um, reestablish a culture? Um, And there are a number of ways that unaligned culture shows up. Um, I'm actually doing a lot of thinking and writing about this right now. So it's, it it is really a peril for companies. Um, I remember a very senior CEO level person turning to me at one point and saying, Hmm, we haven't been really explicit about our culture lately. Have we? I was (laughs) like, Nope, we have not. (laughs) And as a result, there are many subcultures happening. For sure. Um, let's talk a bit about, I mean, when we think about a remote workforce and now the migration back to the office, quote unquote, Um, and there seems to be a misalignment between maybe where employers are and employees are in a lot of cases in terms of that movement and and whether people want to come back full time. Um, talk about what you're seeing there and how leaders should navigate that issue. Well, you know, I think it's different, um, in each circumstance. So I think that in this case, leaders need to be really agile, including the C-suite. So um, we're seeing a rebound where some cultures who are used to in-person everything are trying to rebound. And they're either not understanding that some folks are going to want to live in a hybrid world from now on, because now they've had a taste of it. They've been able to deliver Mm -hmm. uh, on their business solutions without having to be in an office. Mm. Um, So there's that rebound hybrid mix. Um, There are some places that will continue to be hybrid. And then I believe that there will be some businesses who are going to decide to stay remote because they they will reap the benefits of savings in real estate. Mm. Um, And that will change the dynamic for the actual leaders who are navigating through it. So I think most of all, 
we're not out of the chaos. We're not back into the complicated realm. We're still in the chaotic realm. And so I think, you know, when you're in a chaotic realm, you really want to respond first, sense and analyze what's happening, and then figure out what's the good practice going forward. And I think that leaders really need to stay curious and open and have conversations with folks about what they want and what makes them feel valued. Um, And ultimately, everyone may not get what they want, but I believe that uh, when we come out of the pandemic, there's going to be another huge war for talent uh, and the companies that aren't listening and delivering on what their employees want and need are going to feel um, good talent slipping away. Yeah, because there is there, as you note, there's quite a demand for talent um, really across the industries. So there's that, that, that's a dynamic that, that uh, folks are going to have to tiptoe around. Yeah, I really believe that Um, we've been through this before. Uh, So I feel like the, the clue here for leaders is curiosity, listening, having empathy, um, understanding that people are in a different world now, even when the pandemic is over, they may now have their parents living with them or their kids may not come back to school right away. So how do they navigate that? Um, We're seeing that now with folks, Uh, with businesses not being able to hire folks because they're not yet ready to come back out of the home because they don't have the opportunity for their kids to go anywhere yet. So Mm. we're going to start to see a lot of that. For sure. Uh, Folks, we're here chatting with Corey Colton. Corey is with Inflection Point Coaching. Corey, let's talk about a post-pandemic world, uh, hopefully, (laughs) we're we're, uh, entering into. Uh, The value of coaching in a post-pandemic wor- world, address that, if you would. Sure. Um, I think I think we're going to see an explosion uh, in the need for coaching, especially in specific industries. So um, my thought, my feeling is, is that uh, people have now spent 15 months um, without a lot of formal training and development. Uh I think we're seeing that people have still developed during that time. I think people are going to want to have a place to thought partner through how they're going to show up next, which is different. And in specific industries, um, I believe, especially in healthcare, we're going to see a need for coaching because the healthcare workers are overloaded with compassion fatigue. They are also burned out. And I saw a study recently that said that 12% of doctors are going to be leaving the industry after the pandemic is over. And if you do the math, that's a potential $60 billion issue um, for the healthcare industry. Mm. Um, And I think what they're going to need to do is to start investing in these support services like coaching that can help physicians and physician leaders and healthcare leaders through this transition. Uh, because if they don't start paying attention to wellness mm. um, and balance in these industries, uh, I believe we're going to see a big exodus. Wow. Um, when you talk about the term value, you just put a number on it that is uh, extraordinary. Uh, d- does that kind of, um, I mean, we can understand how that would apply to healthcare, but what about other industries? Are you, do you see something similar that might be happening in other industries as well, where, where you might see it a similar kind of exodus. 
Well, I think industry is going to change after the pandemic mm -hmm. in general. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of shifts in different industries. I think it will show up different in different industries. Sales may be hit um, quite a bit because uh, in some industries, sales were knocked pretty hard during the pandemic. Uh, and people may have found other vocations, avocations during that time. So sales may be hit as well. Um, some of the other ones, I think the business went along as usual, but I do believe that leaders and employees um, are starting to think about what's more meaningful for them after this, because they're realizing life is short. Um, we've been through a crisis and they want to do something that brings them more joy and passion. So I do think that other industries are going to have to start providing um, these kinds of services for employees. So we see it happening. There's a lot of new coaching companies springing up like BetterUp and ASAP that are starting to move into the corporate sphere. And I think you're going to see that explode. Well, and it, that makes perfect sense because if there's a shortage of talent, you, you real making that investment uh, is a perfectly logical and, and necessary thing to do so that you don't have turnover and, and, uh, uh, subject yourself uh, to all the problems that come with that. Yeah. And it's a different kind of investment, right? So previously sure. the people that we identified that we wanted to keep, we sent them through a corporate created leadership development program based upon goals of the corporation to benefit the corporation. And I think coaching is a little bit different investment because when it comes down to it and the door closes, all coaching is life coaching. And so it's an investment in the person first and foremost, mm -hmm. with business goals attached to it. So, um, yeah, I think the investment is more personal at that point and uh, people derive more value out of it. Let's talk about, Corey, the types of clients that you work with. Um, uh, maybe the sectors you mentioned, healthcare, the sectors you work in, and and are you typically hired by the company for the for the executive or, or the executive for themselves or both? How does that work? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so as you know, uh, since we've talked before, I have a, a broad-based background in several different industries. So yes. restaurants and hospitality, music, um, financial services, automotive, telecommunications, healthcare. So um, my clients range quite a bit between industries. Um, I do have a focus on physicians, physician leaders, and healthcare leaders, just because of um, the industry that I've been steeped in most recently. I had a, a headhunter ask me once, am I a learning person who happens to work in healthcare, or am I a healthcare person who happens to focus on learning? And I thought that was a great question. Yeah. Um, healthcare, especially academic medicine, is so complex that once you learn it, um, everything else seems more simple. So uh, I do think that I have a healthcare focus now, but I have clients that are GMs and CEOs of resort hotels. I have clients that are leaders in technology industries, uh, physicians, healthcare leaders. Um, so they, they, they run the gamut um, as far as client base is concerned. And I believe I forgot the second half of your question. There was a second half there. Yeah. So uh, are you hired by the company? for the executive or the executive for themselves uh, because that company won't or won't do it or don't, doesn't know about you or whatever. Yeah, actually it's a mixture. 
Okay. So um, there are companies that have a fairly well-framed strategy for bringing in internal or, or external coaches. And so in those cases, I do actually work with the centralized department. Most of the time it's HR um, to work with people that are identified that need coaching. So I have some of those. I've got some folks where because the money sits at the department level, I get contacted by the executive who has a couple of people that need coaching. And so they make the decision. Um, we make the agreement and then we move forward that way. And then I have um, several clients who are also individuals mm. whose companies are not yet ready to um, cover that investment for them. And so I work with them individually on their own um, either leadership issues or navigating work-life negotiation uh, during this pandemic. We used to talk about work-life balance, but that never really was a thing. So uh, we now talk about work-life negotiation. Mm. Makes sense. Uh, you mentioned something there, if I can take it a, a sidestep, that I think is interesting that that how some of this work is now centralized for some companies in their HR departments. Um, sounds like that's going to be more of a trend. What advice would you give to an HR leader HR department that wants to initiate offering these services, coaching services to their executives in terms yeah, of setting so, up that program. Yeah. So that's, um, that's something you want to put on an iron suit to start to do. So um, <laughs> there's many, there's many <laughs> levels of it. Um, I have been responsible for doing that previously. And I will say what you're trying to create at that point is a coaching culture. Mm. And uh, in the perfect world. And, and that has a lot of different levels. So there is the philosophy piece. What do we believe about coaching? Um, how do we want to represent coaching in the company? You know, for some companies previously, coaching was punitive. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not working out. We need to get you a coach. If you don't work out well with the coach, you're out the door. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and that's not what we want coaching to be. We want coaching to be proactive. Um so there's overcoming some of those hurdles. How are we going to frame this? What does it mean to us? Um, whether companies want to believe it or not, departments are spending money on coaching. And so it's interesting for a company to get a hold of what all the spend is outside on executive coaches. Mm. Uh, because when they look at that, there may be enough funds there to actually create an internal function. Mm. Uh, so there's some work there to do. Um, and then I would say that uh, they need to start looking at building internal capabilities um, for coaching within the company so that they can start to offer coaching, not just at the C-suite level or the high potential level, but more democratically um, across the organization. Um, and generally, the thing to be careful of there is um, really good, mature HR business partners can probably handle coaching, but shouldn't coach the people in their own populations. But more often, coaching sits in a learning and leadership development or OD function, uh, where it's a one step removed from the HR function, because you really want to maintain safety and confidentiality for the folks internal to the company. Uh, so when you're creating a coaching culture, you really need to um, keep abreast of how you're handling confidentiality. And then the last step is, is to really look at how do we get all of the leaders across the company to work with more of a coaching mindset, um, which is where the real change happens. Mm. Uh, because if you can get leaders acting like coaches, um, it helps to lift them out of the, I'm going to solve this for you. I have the expertise. Here's what I would do frame of mind. 
into lifting up their team members into their better thoughts. Because uh, one thing I always ask my leader clients is how long do you want to do this job? You know, if they're, if they're getting into the business still and not letting their folks run things, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to be stuck in that job because they're not developing the next layer um, to take over. So I think there, you know, there are many levels to, to looking at coaching in a corporation and it just depends on where that company is at that moment, um, who the stakeholders are, uh, and how they want to navigate that. But it is, it's, it's a, it's fraught with politics potentially. That's where that iron suit comes in. Uh, (laughs) Corey uh, Colton is with us, folks. He's with Inflection Point Coaching. Uh, Corey, one of the things that you talk about a lot is leadership development that is practical, applicable, and respectful of time. Mm -hmm. Dive into that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've spent a long time in leadership development teams. Um, and I've seen really great leadership development programs that really helped to spur change. And I've seen some that were not quite as helpful. And I think the difference is when companies are designing leadership development, if they take into account the needs and desires of the people who will be using the program more Mm -hmm. And, and weight that against what the company thinks is the right thing to do for leadership development, um, I think they have more success. So a lot of leadership development programs focus on theory, um, frameworks, um, ropes courses, you know, and all of that is necessary. You have to build trust. You have to understand the business strategy. Um, you have to be able to read the market. But if you don't provide people with practical frameworks and tools to take back to the job, they are just going to go back to the job and get subsumed back into their day-to-day grind. Mm. And so we know that formal training, people only remember 5 to 10% of what they learned during that time. So what's the real ROI on that investment? Mm. And so how do, we, how do we bust open the models of leadership development to make sure that it aligns with what the folks who are attending need and want while still building that trust and safety and collaboration and community uh, so that they can have real sustained change. And I do find that the most successful ones really attach coaching to those programs because it's in coaching where you're going to focus on actually reinforcing the concepts that are most important to that leader. Um, So I just feel like leadership development needs to be something that can turn from thoughts and theories into action and results. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you, you mentioned coaching mindset for organizations. Let's talk about what that looks like for, for the leaders themselves and, and how you work with a leader to develop a coaching mindset for their, um, employees and uh, their reports and those that are around them. Yeah. So I have personal experience with this. So several years ago, um, I had a role that expanded very quickly. Um, So I was experiencing some altitude sickness myself. um, And I went from leading frontline employees to leading directors um, within a very short period of time. And I, I hired a consultant to help me with that process as we were centralizing the learning teams And he had previously been a CHRO at another big healthcare system. And he just looked at me one day and he said, 
you have to figure out how your leadership's going to have to change when all of this is said and done. And I didn't really understand it at the time he said it, but he was coaching me. Um, and the way that came to fruition was about eight months later, my directors were coming to me and saying, do you not like the way that I'm handling this? Or is there something else you're trying to tell me? Do you not trust me to get the job done? And I realized what I was doing was I was still managing them as if they were a frontline employee. Mm. I was laying over my own expertise, my own solutions, my own ideas, and I was getting involved in too much of the work. And they were basically telling me back off. I'm a director. I've got this. Uh, and I had to change my leadership style and the coaching mindset came in um, where I had to change the way I was interacting with them, uh, which was a real shift for me and actually how I started to get into, into coaching uh, because I needed to thought partner with those directors when they asked for it um, on helping them bring out their own best ideas um, helping them think through obstacles mm -hmm. and different paths forward. And most importantly, to help them navigate the political landscape in the organization, right? That's where my value came in, um, was providing navigation paths, getting resources, removing obstacles. And so I really went through my own transformation. And so the coaching mindset for leaders helps the leader to stay in curiosity uh, helps the leader to partner with the people on their team to come up with their own best answers. Because again, how long does a leader want to be in a specific job? Who's going to come up and take the next reins? Uh, you have to be able to let people develop themselves. So it's really about um, curiosity and guiding and empathy and compassion more than driving the business solutions, getting involved in the details um, and providing answers. As soon as you try and help people, it really shuts them down. Because they have the answers. They have the answers. They just they don't just know. Have, have, yes. They just have to have the opportunity to think through them. Mm. Uh, makes perfect sense. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned some of the uh, a, a, a broad segment of, of, of different industries that you work in. Um, you mentioned healthcare and, and some of the specific work you're doing there. And I'm, I'm rather a specific question around the doctor issue. Um, are we seeing some of this problem, not just because of the pandemic, but because increasingly physicians practices are selling out to much larger healthcare organizations that are struggling with how to manage these new employees? Yeah, great question. So um, I think there's a number of factors here. Um, one of the biggest ones is what you said, which is e even before the Affordable Care Act, healthcare was changing uh, to become more uh, consolidated. So doctors or even department chairs um, in medical systems previously had the run of their own P&L, mm -hmm. um, had the run of their own decisions. Uh, and the run of their own outcomes. And over the course of the last 20 to 25 years, we've seen healthcare become more systematic. I think that started really with the old HMO move back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so what happens is, is the doctors, um, the chairs, the section chiefs, the practice leaders have an obligation now to the institution who has more say over how they do their work um, and the way they deliver care. 
Um, in addition, the electronic medical records uh, and you know transition over the past 25 years has really changed how physicians interact with patients because there are so many um, rules, regulations, policies, procedures, and laws that that guide. Uh, the documentation of medical records. And that takes up a significant chunk of physicians' time. So they're spending less time with their patients, which is why they got into the job in the first place, and more time with institutional priorities, um, laws, processes, coding, billing, all of that infrastructure that they were never taught to deal with. And then if you have a physician who becomes a leader on top of that, then we're, we're taking our best physicians we're promoting them to leadership. They've never really had to lead administrative and staff positions before. They've never had to be in charge of patient pipeline and revenue and clinical space versus administrative space, space and parking um, and meeting time, uh, all of those things. And we don't train them to be leaders. So, you know, for the last 30, 40 years, administrative areas have been, these folks have been trained to become leaders. The physicians, not, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I see, I think we're seeing both forces uh, coming down on healthcare leaders. Um, the demands of translating institutional strategy, revenue, and priorities down into the patient care areas, um, and then also struggling through leadership priorities. And so sometimes the decisions at the institutional level are made for one reason, and they may conflict with how we deliver care. And some of the doctors are caught in the middle because they want to focus on the patients and the institution has some other priorities that are not not patient focused, but to maintain uh, pipeline revenue, um, headcount, all of those things. And so I think those forces are really coming together to put a lot of pressure, uh, especially on the physicians. Mm. Corey, this has been great. And as we kind of wind down here, I would love if you could share uh, maybe a success story. Uh, you don't have to mention any names, of course, um, but uh, but one su- success story that particularly highlights the work you do. Yeah, so um, one of the ones that comes to mind, uh, and I think is very apropos, especially now with women feeling the pressure uh, in the workforce because of the pandemic and other reasons, is I had a a female client um, who was involved in a major initiative uh, as an associate project manager. And the project, after a lot of bumps and bruises, ended up going really, really well. And this person got elevated very quickly from project management into being a senior and executive director in a technology organization. Um, And was suddenly peers to a lot of um, very successful, um, very assertive male colleagues uh, was the only female on the senior leadership team mm. um, in a technology organization, which has its own culture, uh, and was really dealing with a few things. Dealing with, first of all, how to show up in this larger role and and transition really the way I had to transition, which is now leading people leaders as opposed to leading frontline um, initiatives, um, how to show up in this new subculture, this sort of assertive male technology culture. And then I think there was some issues around imposter syndrome as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, especially when females ascend, uh, there can be the tendency for that person to feel like 
they don't know who they are in this new world and do they really have the experience to do it? Whereas sometimes, sometimes, many times, males that ascend that quickly just feel like they've deserved it and it's because of the work they did. So there's less imposter syndrome with with male leaders. So we worked together for about six months um, on these issues. How can you show up and be authentic? How can you have confidence in your own abilities and show up with that confidence? Or if you don't feel confident, how do you show up with that unconfidence? And how do you wend your way through that? Um, And then how do you lead people leaders as opposed to leading frontline folks? And that causes you to have to show up differently. And so uh, ultimately, that person was very successful in changing their approach, changing the relationships with their colleagues, um, taking charge of their area not from the standpoint of telling people what to do, but of setting direction, inspiration, tying to the strategy and leading in a different way. Um, And it was interesting because for this particular client, a lot of what she was experiencing was showing up in her body. Uh, And so uh, there were posture clues that we would notice in the sessions that would tell when there was some, um, lack of confidence showing up. And so we worked a little bit in the somatic realm as well. Wow. Trying to help her change the way she walked into a room. Wow. Uh, great work, uh, from, uh, Corey Colton. Um, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a powerful example. Uh, Corey, this has been great. Uh, and I'm, I'm just quite sure that there are folks that that have are listening or have been listening to this, uh, interview that they've heard something makes them want to get in touch. So let's give them your coordinates, how they can be in touch. Yeah. Thanks so much um, for that opportunity. Um, I'm based in Nashville, but obviously in the new virtual world, um, coaching can happen anywhere. Almost every one of my coaching sessions now is by zoom, Mm -hmm. um, or FaceTime. So, uh, I'm at inflection point coaching, www.inflectionpointcoaching.net. Um, and my email address is Corey at inflectionpointcoaching.net. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody who might want to connect um, and get some ideas. I do offer free consultation calls um, and you can contact me through the website. Terrific. Corey Colton, folks, Inflection Point Coaching. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. John, I really appreciate it. It was great to connect again. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Folks, just a quick reminder that, you can find all our shows, uh, the Na- the complete archive of Nashville Business Radio at NashvilleBusinessRadioX.com. Here's my ask of you, please. If you would go to your favorite podcast app and uh, use the search term Nashville Business Radio and subscribe to the show. And uh, my bold ask is to give us a five-star review. It's not about me. It's not about Business Radio X. It's about our guest. We want our guests to be found by people that are looking for their services and you're helping us in that way helps make that happen. So if you could do that for us and particularly for our guests, we would appreciate it. So for my guest, Corey Colton, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.